The Persistent and Nasty podcast is a series of interviews and informal discussions with inspiring women and other marginalised voices in theatre, film and beyond. From actors to activists, we aim to amplify these voices and invite the world to stay nasty. The Persistent and Nasty podcast has teamed up with We Edition to offer our listeners 25% off monthly subscription. Head over to We Edition and type in NASTY, all capital letters, 25 at checkout. I have said it before, I will say it again. We Edition really are the future of casting. And also you can make money while being a member on the site. You can um, be a scene partner for people and you can help with accents. You can just generally help each other out. And it's a really important thing for us to do especially during these times and just a lovely way to have community our other offer for our listeners is still with backstage backstage are offering our actors 12 months free subscription you heard that right 12 months free if you follow the link in the description box for casting directors you can post free castings when you type in persistent and nasty at checkout Hello and welcome to another episode of Persistent and Nasty Podcast. Elaine here, how are you all doing? Today's episode is with the incredible performer, playwright and filmmaker Adura Anoshli. Um, Adura is just one of the most inspiring people I think I have had the chance to speak to and uh, I can't wait for you all to hear it. Um funny we recorded this on Wednesday when all the new restrictions in Scotland were announced so there's lots of us crying about not being able to uh, get a pint but we obviously it's all with light-hearted uh, vibes as we know that this is what needs to be done and you know we all just need to keep doing it and as Janie Godley says put your emotional life jacket on and support each other we've got this we can do it just wear your mask look after each other we will be okay um i really hope that you are all taking care of yourselves and those that you love and uh yeah remember that your your nasty gals are here if anybody is needing some help um today's podcast is a great episode i know that you're going to absolutely love it um and as i say i do that is all inspiring and uh i think i might be a little bit in love with her um yeah, just a few things before we start. I do my usual and I have a little uh, swearing episode at the start of the episode. So just watch out for that. Also, Adura's um, new short film is available on the BFI player right now for free. And it is available until the 18th of October. Please give it a watch. Vote for it as well. There is a competition. Um, I will give a trigger warning for it though. So maybe read the description um, before you watch it and check that you are in the right frame of mind. But I do think that most of you are going to watch it and be blown away by uh, the performances and the direction and the cinematography. Um, it is really special. Um, yeah, not much.
much else to say guys you can follow us all on the social media twitter at persistent nasty i didn't hesitate yes instagram at persistent and nasty facebook persistent and nasty and you can always send us a wee email to persistent and nasty at gmail.com if you were feeling so inclined and want to help us out Chuck us the money of a cup of tea or a coffee. Um, Our PayPal link is in the description below. As most of you know, we are unfunded and it really is helping make such a difference to us and we are so grateful and so humbled um, to everybody who's already uh, donated. So again, a million thank yous. Anyway, enough of me rambling on. Sit back, relax, get a cup of tea, coffee, Vodka, gin, wine, beer, water, whatever your tipple of choice is. And enjoy this gorgeous episode with myself, Misha and Adura. What? Pubs and restaurants closed from Friday. And then, but that's across the central belt. And then if you're a cafe, you can stay open till six o'clock if you've got no alcohol license. But I literally just read the article and was like, Okay, all right, interesting. And then, yeah, and if you're not in the Central Belt, so Glasgow, Edinburgh, Lan- Lanarkshire, Ayrshire, I think Ayrshire, well, I don't know because Ayrshire, my pals are all in Ayrshire and they're sending messages on the home chat. And I'm like, I'll, I, I don't know if I want to read it. <laughs> yeah, they're in the Central Belt band of closing down. So, like, almost back to full lockdown. Yeah, pretty much. Yep, yeah. yep, yep. yep. Okay. Ah, great. <laughs> Here we go again. Here we go again. No. How did you how did you get on through lockdown, Adura? Well, I had it was quite wild because I have a 22-month-old daughter. So basically, she was my lifesaver. Because I think if I didn't have her, I would have gone, I've been certifiable. Not being able to access a pint on a regular basis in a pub was like, okay, that is hard. But because she, there's this small person who's running around who doesn't give a flying fuck about, a, you know, a pandemic. And it's just yeah. like, I've got things to do. I'm going to be two for fuck's sake. She doesn't swear, but she will swear. <laughs> <laughs> she will. Um yeah, yeah. So that was that 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 was actually quite a lifesaver. There was a lot of emotional turmoil happening for me at that time as well. So it was really great to have her and to have, you know, her as a, like a massive distraction. So it was yeah. all right, and I actually managed it. This time is harder actually. This bit where for the last two months we haven't really known where we are and rules are constantly changing. Yeah. This is the bit that's actually anxiety inducing. This is this is the bit that you're like, oh my God, I don't and I can't I'm about to say this, but at least with lockdown, you knew where you were. Yeah. You know? No, you're so I feel the same because there's something about I'm like, just give me a list of what I can and can't do because it's constantly changing. And as you say, at least in lockdown, we knew exactly where we stood. Mm-hmm. Whereas now I'm like, like I took my gran out today for her lunch because I can't go into our house. And I'm just like, it, I had to take her in the car because like her walking isn't great today. And I'm just like, 
okay grand so you're gonna have to keep your mask on I think I have to keep my mask on I don't know and then the whole journey there I'm like fuck 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 yeah. fuck yeah, <laughs> yeah. So constantly yeah. second guessing yourself it's so exhausting to be in that state of I don't know it's really but also she was really low today when I got there and I was just like okay so actually just getting her out and like just even getting some lunch in a different four walls for her was like I mean she's freaking amazing she's going to be 91 in December she's like still living solo she's you know she's she's incredible um she is my life goal uh and everything all our life goals all of them totally also she just calls it like shit like it is She's, She's not like, trying to waste anymore. No, I know. Like, they just don't care. Like, we're sitting and there was a man who clearly, um, he had one of those, have you seen them, the lanyards that are like got daisies on them? So it's so that people know that they are not wearing a mask and it's yeah. not that they're not doing it. It's like, for whatever reason. Is it sunflowers? <laughs> yeah, is it sunflowers? I totally thought it was daisies. Yeah, I think it's and, sunflowers. Uh, my gran's like, I mean, I'm putting my mask on. I was like, Gran, I, I don't, I don't think he can. Well, Elaine, I can't really breathe with this thing either. I'm like, no, you can't. <laughs> <laughs> okay, let's go home. She sounds like my mom. I love it. She's great. She's great. She sounds great. Um, yeah. Adura, welcome to the Persistent and Nasty podcast. So chuffed to be here. Thank you for having me. Not as chuffed as uh, Misha and I are. No, I gave like a jazz hands entrance. Nobody can see the visual, but I just feel I'm going to add it. I did the jazz hands for the ta-da. And we're recording this today on the day that expensive shit goes live on the BFI player. Oh Oh my goodness. Yeah, I know. It is, it is very exciting and I find it quite emotional and I've had like butterflies all morning going, oh my God, what if everyone hates it? Oh, Jesus. What if Not possible. So, so many questions, so many questions um, that I have about the work. I'm like really pleased with it and I'm really proud of it, but there are things, I have questions that will probably stay with me for a long time about, about you know, kind of doing, showing work about assault and and how we treat women's bodies and in on film and stuff like that. And yeah, I have questions. I have questions. Yeah. I'm loving it. I'm like, let's do the questions. <laughs> let's do the questions. Can I, I just go straight in? Sure. Yes, with it. Go. Yeah, so like a big thing, like I'm always asking myself is like the things that I'm naturally drawn to are things that I find problematic in the world, right? And that inevitably becomes about exploitation. Mm-hmm. But, you know, sometimes I do think, and, and I do think the way it's treated is really important because we have seen so much violence um, against women's bodies on film. Uh, and, and sometimes in the service of telling a story that needs to be told, but I feel like it gets gratuitous quite quickly. And so for me with expensive shit, it was like, I, I was torn between, I need to show this because it's a reality. And, but at the same time, I don't want it to fall into that gratuitous, do we need to see this again to know that it happens? You know, and I and I think maybe it's all right to feel that discomfort, but definitely I took Rosie aside when we were, Kim Allen is the most phenomenal actress. She's 
uh, we were doing that scene and I literally had to take myself around the back of the set and take Rosie with me and go, Rosie, what are we doing? What are we doing? Should we be putting this shit out in the world? This is dark, you know? And she was like, but we have to tell this story. Mm -hmm. So, so, so that it, that still sits a little bit, dis you know, it's just a little bit still, it's a question I always want to keep asking myself if I want to work in this area. And it's expensive shit has been with me for a long time because, you know, it was a play and, yeah. and, you know, it, I'm not tired of it in any way. Obviously we've just made the short film, but there is a me, a part of me going to do it. Go on. Can you do something else? <laughs> <laughs> Can you write anything else? Oh. Uh, hmm. <laughs> um. <laughs> I'll come back to you. <laughs> actually let's them um, talk about the um the being that is expensive shit and how it grew like that would be i'm sure the listeners would love to hear that because obviously it was at the festival is that four years ago four years ago this this baby is milking that cow <laughs> anybody want to do like improvised comedy around a toilet attendant in a club with a two-way mirror i'm available um, yes, available for that shit let's do it <laughs> so um so basically i heard about the club through a friend of mine um i i was i had written a one woman show called healer about henrietta Lacks, and i really loved it and i was looking for another project and he told me about this story of a, a, a nightclub in Glasgow that had had this two-way mirror that that in the that looked into the women's toilets that nobody knew about. And I had already started to think about writing about oh that's I have to go a bit back backwards actually I'd always been interested in writing about toilet attendants because when I was in my twenties in London and used to go clubbing a lot of toilet attendants were Nigerian, right? And I had this, like, I'd be off my head and I'd go into a toilet and I'd be like, oh, hi, auntie, and be all respectful. And, and, and like, it was a total kind of weird disjunct in my head. And I felt like these women were often seriously exploited because they aren't paid by the clubs and they make all their monies from tips, which puts, tips, which puts them in quite difficult situations but at the same time I thought man these women are seeing things we want to hide mm -hmm. like when women go into the toilets a lot of the time especially in the type of clubs I was going to giving a lot away um the toilets were the place you went for respite and you went to really talk the truth about how the night was going so this woman who we were all sort of ignoring was actually um she was actually aware of so much about us and that 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 um, juxtaposition was really interesting to me. So I knew I wanted to do a play about a toilet attendant. So when this friend told me about the nightclub in Glasgow, I was like, boom, perfect place. Exactly, exactly. Misha's got her fingers in a kind of Dr. No. <laughs> and that's exactly what happened. Um, uh, I thought, perfect. Because what you had was a situation where you had a secretive sort of environment and, and, and our toilet attendant was implicit. Now, like that wasn't enough, ladies. I was like, basically nobody's ever, ever going to allow me to do a play again. So I've always wanted to write about the women in Fela Kuti's shrine. And so I was like, I'll just do both plays in one and I'll make, <laughs> and I'll make her youth, the toilet attendant's youth, 
is that she was one of the dancers in Felakuti's shrine in Lagos in the 1980s, just as his fame was waning and just before he passed away. And then I'll make her present that she ended up in Glasgow as a toilet attendant. That way, I can have singing and dancing in one part of the play, and I can have exploitation and <laughs> and sexual assault in the other part of the play. Boom! boom. What a um, delicious sandwich. And I've been talking for a long time, which tells me why that play didn't work. There was too much going on in it. It did work. I saw it and it was amazing. It <laughs> literally, it was, it, I remember very vividly coming out of the theatre in, uh, in at the Traverse and being like, oh, that was so joyful and so exhilarating and energetic and fun but I am so devastated and that kind of split of the joyous dancing and the energy of the girls on stage, like the power in that room was electric and, and like paired with such a horrific traumatizing, like side as well. It was a, a magic performance. Oh, that's great to hear. That's great to hear because I mean, years later, I'll just be really honest with you because I, because I, I think there's, I think I was, I, I kind of had a really, really, really hard time during expensive shit. I, I was not ready for the spotlight of being at the Traverse during the Fringe. I wasn't ready, and I, and I'll just be really honest. Being the only black woman on the in the season that year I I think I just didn't realize that I would need more support Mm. and so even though the show did well I had this really weird thing where I was just in a state of anxiety permanently for four weeks and um and it's now that I think we I have the language to articulate what that was but at the time I couldn't I was like Girl, you've got a show on at the Travers. Can you calm your shit down? It's fine. Everything's good. But I, it didn't feel like that. It felt, it felt, I felt really panicked all the time. And there were comments and and things that were said and, and things that I witnessed that, that did contribute to that. And I think what it's made me realize is that I need to find collaborators that are incredibly supportive. And I need to trust the collaborators that I work with so that I could have shared some of that burden that, you know, um, that I, I, yeah, that I, that I put on myself and, and that I had to go through during that time. So expensive shit was really kind of bittersweet for me. And, and I, and it got quite bad in that four weeks. I mean, all my friends that put stuff on at the fringe talk about it being a hot house of that in a weird way, if your show's not doing well or it's doing well, your experience can be exactly the same because it's both sides of the competition. Mm-hmm. And it's a competition. You know, we, we celebrate it as this festival of theatre. And, and of course it is. But ultimately, it's a competition for prizes, for reviews, for selling out your show. Yeah. And, and that, is, that is hard. And, and a lot of people suffer from the mental health issues that come with that. And, and I think definitely with expensive shit, that, that happened to me without, without a doubt. I mean, I think, I mean, I love the festival. And I mentioned before, like, Last year, I fell back in love with the festival. I'd been out of love with it for a wee while. And I think that partly is exactly what you're talking about. It is it is anxiety-inducing. Yeah. Even just being in the city, 
never mind if you've got a show on yeah that you're trying to get people to come and see or if you but it's that thing of like being at the trav there's an extra pressure when you're at the trav yeah there is and it it doesn't matter people can say all they want oh yeah you're at the trav but that's a whole other fucking thing you're not in a tiny little church hall in leith no. going come see my show it's really cool and people see it and go oh what are we hidden gem it's like okay we're going to the trav so step your shit up yeah exactly exactly and there's a vulnerability with your work as well that's so it's personal and it's head above the parapet and we talk about like having your head above the parapet a lot with like I mean us just being vocal about um everything yeah <laughs> and but there is something about having exactly as you've like recognized if you don't have support if you don't have other people like who are also putting their head above the parapet and supporting you then that is it's hugely I mean it's exposing how many other women were there that year at the Trav I don't know I think that I don't know actually I don't you know I think a lot of I've blocked a lot of stuff out about that <laughs> that festival I, I so I wouldn't be able to say nope that's that's more than okay yeah. <laughs> absolutely and moving swiftly on <laughs> and so has it been quite exciting then being able to do the film and reclaim the story and and give it this new lease of life Nisha that is such a beautiful way of putting it reclaiming the story because I think that is exactly what's happened so as a, as a result of it moving into a short film form, we've kind of lost the fella cootie angle. And also I've developed the character quite a lot. Um, and it feels like a different story. And just the experience of having the team, the core team of working with Barry Creerer and Rosie and Kira and who are Barry Creerer, um, and, and the rest of our team is, is just, and the long gestation period of it as well, uh, just meant that it had a rigor that I just absolutely loved. And the thing about it is that if you make something that you know you've done your best in, it's kind of okay if people don't like it because you're like, I've done my best here. It's much harder if you're not happy with something to actually deal with the criticism or to or, or deal with the praise because actually ultimately you're not happy with it. So um, I'm happy with the film and I'm, I'm, I've, I have had a, a bit of an epiphany um, that that, I want to make more films and film is probably where I feel most realized, which is really bizarre because obviously I, I, my, I got into theater because my first experience of theater was when I was like six in Nigeria and I loved it. It was an in the round open air. And I thought, I thought, God, this is just the best. It was just the electric, the electricity on stage and the audience. I really wanted to be a part of that. But I think as the years have gone by, I found it difficult to find an expression within theatre in the way that still feels possible in film. Um, And they're two completely different forms. But yeah, I just really, really love the process of filmmaking. I just, I I absolutely felt that this is what I'm supposed to be doing. Which is weird to come to it so much later in my career right mm. but no I, I never dreamed I could make films when I was when you know when I was coming up never dreamed it wasn't an option you know what I mean it just wasn't nobody talked to you 
No, I, ne I never met anybody who was a filmmaker. Nobody made me think that it was something I could possibly do. So it was just never part of my radar, although I consumed a hell of a lot of films and TV, just like that. Just constant, 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 constant. You know what I mean? And uh, yeah, and just I just feel really kind of privileged to have made the film and to, and to continue making film. It's yeah. a really interesting thing. I feel like the industry kind of has this sense that theatre and film and TV are two separate entities and it's like you pick one or the other. Yeah. And, I, and I think that it's really hard to actually do that for people that have got an interest in both. There yeah. is so much crossover and especially at the moment with the way technology is and the way theatre is now changing in terms of like the, I mean... There's just so much more crossover and I think that it should be encouraged to have a taste of both sides. Isn't that, I mean, to me, that kind of, like, talking about that, because film is always, as I was growing up, I was going to be an actress, but I always, like, film, 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 because I was obsessed with old movies. Mm. And then, you know, we start training, and I'm like, oh, no, theatre. <laughs> it's totally theatre. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and uh, now I'm like, hmm maybe I'm going back to film like but is I wonder it's something about being pigeonholed yeah and I'm really curious as females about that sense of being able to move between that maybe it feels freer if you're a man because I'm starting to think about all the male filmmakers who started off in theater yeah and those things are never I think they were always given that exact, like what you said to do about, you know, okay, so you never thought about film as a possibility, but they probably did. Yeah. Like somebody like Sam Mendes or Kenneth Branagh, like they probably did. Yeah. So, so what is it that makes us pigeonhole ourselves? I just, well, that's a question. I'm leaving it open. A huge part of it is representation. You know? Yeah. I think a huge part of it is representation and it's still an issue. I mean, um, I think if you don't see yourself, then, then, uh, then you don't imagine that you can do it. And the reason why Sam Mendes and Kenneth Brother can see themselves doing it is because they've seen other people like them do it. You know, it's kind of, it's, I really think that's what it's about. Yeah. Um, and, and, and also the people around you also being affected by that lack of insight. So not being able to go, man, you consume a lot of films. Have you ever thought of being into, you know, kind of thing? Um, yeah. So yeah, it is, it is a thing. And I think in Scotland, um, we're used to, certainly within theatre, that people move across things, that people who act then become writers or then direct. I think there's a lot of, movement in that and now there's a big movement across film and theater as well and I think that's about that's right we're both interested in telling stories yeah and, and we do it in different ways but ultimately it's a love of a good story and well told that fires both sort of um art forms you know yeah when did you start writing I started writing when I came to Scotland, I really think that Scotland is kind of like my creative spiritual home. I came for a show called Roadkill in 2010 and I had no idea I wanted to leave London. No idea. And I came up here 
and the show we hadn't done Edinburgh yet so the show hadn't been successful yet but literally I remember getting in a cab between Central and um where was our place now it's gone out of my head it'll come back Central and the East End come on Deniston that's it um <laughs> Oh, see, now that I'm in the south side, I've completely forgotten my Deniston roots. I'm like, <laughs> what is that place called? Oh, yeah, Deniston. Anyway. <laughs> Which has apparently just been voted the eighth best pl- part of a city to live in in the world, Deniston. Yeah, probably. It's really oh, happening no. around there. It's really hot. I mean, I've been back a few times going, yeah, oh, yeah you guys have got it going on. Yeah, they, do, they definitely do. I'm like, south side's still pretty good, though. Yeah, south side. Um, uh, well, so I remember being driven from, yeah, um, in a cab and I just was looking around going, oh, this place is magic. There was just a feeling. So after we did uh, uh, the first preview, I, there was four weeks before we did Edinburgh and I just got a job in a bar and stayed for four weeks and was in a bar in, um, in Merchant City, actually, and just loved it, loved it, loved it, loved it. And I knew that. I've always known that I wanted to create my own work. So somewhere in there, writing became a thing. And there was a woman called um, Chloe Deer, who was a producer, normally a circus producer. And I'd met her through Cora. And I remember sitting opposite her and she was like, this was after Roadkill had done well at the Fringe. And she was like, Adura, what do you want to do? And I said, I just want to make my own work. And she went, you know what? I'm going to give you, I'm going to help you. And if you're shit, we won't work together. But if you're good, maybe something will come from it. And that was my break, sitting opposite this woman who gave me a chance. Because I wrote to everybody. I wrote to the National Theatre Scotland. I wrote to all the theatres going, ah, I want to make my own work. Nothing. But, which is fair enough. But I sat opposite Chloe and she was like, we'll make this happen. And we applied for, I think it was something like a grand to, to do a workshop on Henry on Henrietta Lacks and that was the beginning of writing the one woman show and I do still to this day put everything down to that woman obviously for me Cora Bissett will always be really important because she brought me to Scotland in the first place but it was um it was Chloe giving me that chance and going I'll support you um that really made a difference and then she emigrated to New Zealand and that was a very sad day for me (laughs) I was like oh my god don't leave stay with me um but that's when I started writing I literally was like I'm gonna write because I want to write this one woman show why did I want to move from acting to writing I was never I never really got the kind of parts I wanted to play as an actor I can't tell you the amount of times I played like random sexually abused prostitute who has one line but happens to need to be naked in the show I was once in a show where I had one line and yet I was in my bra for most of the show exactly and uh the listeners can't see my face but it's (laughs) my what the fuck face yeah and and poor me I look back at myself then going yeah but this might be an opportunity and so I'll do it and it was completely gratuitous um yeah I did that so things like that just made me go like I want to have more autonomy over the work that I do um and and more control of what I yeah what is asked of me and what I do with my body and yeah Mm -hmm. Yeah. and would you go back and would are you still wanting to act or do you feel like you don't need to now that you're writing and directing 
I mean, it depends on the project, right? I, I would absolutely love, love, love to act, but I do, I do think, I, I, I hold actors in such high esteem. And I think of myself more as a performer than an actor. I, and I, and if, you, if you can make that distinction for me, I've never been able to articulate it, but I'm not particularly good at becoming other people. I'm just me, basically, and it either works for the project or it doesn't. Oh God, oh, there is a doer again. Okay. Um, uh, so I think that it depends on the project and I think that I'm definitely in many ways better suited to being behind the scenes than, than being, yeah. There's, I think there's something about that, having the control over it as well, that's so important. And I, I see it more and more with actors who just think, I can't keep waiting and sitting around. And it is that kind of switch from, right, so I'm just going to make it happen for myself or I'm just going to do something else that I can have control over. It's yeah, because there's still a problem in our industry where actors are not treated as artists. And uh, as I'm not a particularly good writer, I think, it's when actors get my words and make it something that it becomes, do you know what I mean? It's so important what actors do. And yet, in many ways, uh, we can be treated like, I don't know, like the difficult part, like the bit that needs to be managed in a production. And it's like, no, 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 the, the, you know, what an actor does is as relevant and as in, in, integral to a piece working as the director, um, as the stage manager, as the designer. It's, it's a collaborative effort. And certainly the shows that I've enjoyed the most as an actor have been when my voice could be heard. And I knew that I was an artist being treated as an artist making a thing, you know, and that's the way I kind of want to work with the projects that I lead on so much comes from other people you know and the rub of your ideas with other people's ideas completely it's the beauty of the ensemble yeah completely completely so it makes total sense to me that as an actor you would direct yeah you know and that you would write because story is in your bones Mm. right and how that story is told is in your bones um it's whether you have, you can do it. It's just whether you want to do it. That's the, that's the only question, you know. Again, it's that pigeonholing thing, isn't it? It's like, especially in training, you're taught, like, you know, you are an actor, you are a director, you are a lighting designer, you are a state, and never the twain shall meet when actually, as you say, the story is what we're all doing. Absolutely, absolutely. And it's magic. It's magic it's when you magic. when you open your mouth and you're on that stage and you make those words real. That's magic, man. You know what I mean? Yeah. Anyway. Oh, my heart. <laughs> it's okay. We're off to retrain anyway. No, we're 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 pointless. We're, we've got to retrain. Shut up. No, absolutely. Bloody. Did you see that yesterday? Yeah fucking chisel. it's unbelievable this really goes to show you just how completely out of touch they are yeah completely completely out of touch in many ways reminding me i'm a bit big fan of succession and i think that i think they just you know that tv series i I haven't watched it and i really Um, watch it yeah same yeah it's very good for that for that sense of them just being in a complete, I mean, obviously it's about the, the mega rich, but I think politicians and 
that ilk of politicians definitely fall into that. Yeah, no idea. Yeah. And that's all the airtime they're going to get. I know. I was like, oh. thank you very much. Cut, cut scene. Prop them up. <laughs> so, you moved to Scotland and became a writer, which is joyful. <laughs> lucky Scotland. Lucky, so lucky me. Lucky, well, lucky. we'll go with both being lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And now, and now you've got a feature film in the pipeline. Yeah. So we want to shoot next year. <gasps> we want to start financing before the end of this year. Yes. Amazing. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Sure. <laughs> um, working title girl, and it's loosely based on my relationship with my mother. And um, very loosely, <laughs> but I, I'm an only child and, um, and I brought, got brought, brung up in a single parent family. And that meant that I had, it took me, maybe I feel like I was slower to develop because my relationship with my mom was so intense and so important. Like, you know, and she was my best friend for a long time. And because she was my best friend, there wasn't really room for anybody else in the same way. And in a, in a strange kind of way, it took me, and, and maybe it's still an issue, to trust people outside uh, of that relationship. Um, and so I wanted to speak to, and obviously, I, even though I was born in London, I grew up in Nigeria and we came back when I was 11 and we ended up in a council estate in Bermondsey in London just me and her and it was we suffered a lot like you know it was a really really racist environment um and we often didn't feel safe leaving the house and but what that meant was that she created this really beautiful space for me at home you know so so for a long time I didn't think about the fact that that it was because whenever we were outside, she was really tense and we often got abuse hurled at us and all that kind of stuff. And so I just wanted to explore that, but obviously because it's drama, I've pushed that to, um, to a mother and a daughter. And, and because the daughter is changing and, and sort of coming of age, she's looking to the outside world and wanting to interact. And her mother is trying to keep her close and, because her mother has her own trauma from her past. Um, so a kiss between them, I guess the reason I started writing it was I, I asked myself, can a kiss between a mother and a daughter ever be innocent? And, um, and that was the kind of, that was the kind of jump off, jumping off point for the script and the story. And that something that might be innocent within a relationship becomes problematic for people who are looking from the outside um because of the you know exact because of the judgments we would have of that and so it's 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 quite a delicate kind of thing to get right but i feel very excited about it um because of the story but also because of the the visual language that i want to create in the film but yeah that's what it is that's what i'm trying to and it's called girl for now yeah and it's basically the mother's story and the daughter's story. It's both of their stories. And I and I know I just feel really passionate about 
telling those sort of women's stories from a female perspective. And I don't think motherhood is something that is really kind of tackled a great deal. Um, and and all that stuff about a good mother and all that, that, that women have to kind of deal with. I just want to play with all of that and open it up and go, what does that actually mean? And um, yeah, probably that was a very long-winded way of saying that's what the film's about. When 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 long long wind that that is <laughs> there's a lot oh yeah but you know it's you can tell something is going to be good just by like even just like I can already like see it I can feel it it's so yeah <laughs> knocking my glasses <laughs> off with like <laughs> yeah wow that sounds really really interesting and very important yeah, and I just, you know, and I'm always trying to do stuff that is a little bit, um, that makes me uncomfortable. Mm. Somebody said to me the other day, you know, do you think a comedy maybe one time? Like, <laughs> there's too much darkness to get out of myself first and then I'll do the comedy, I promise. Like, give me a couple of years. We'll see where I'm at. <laughs> a little bit of masochism doesn't go amiss. But that is, but it's such an interesting topic, though that whole idea about an, a kiss between a mother and a daughter. Because as soon as you said that, I then think about all the times that I've kissed my mum, and then I'm like, what did that look like from the outside? And now I'm a fully formed adult. I was going to say adult. No, I am. <laughs> I mean, I should be at my age, Christ. Um, and I was like, yeah, I still give my mum a kiss. Yeah. Like, does it, so does, is that weird? No, it isn't. And I think, I, I think my but thing- I love the fact that that made me think, though. Yeah, it's interesting because obviously a peck is a peck and innocent. So, so we're going to really have to find when we shoot it, what's the line? When does it just slip into something slightly different? Is it the length of it? Is it a peck that goes on for five seconds? Is it, it what is it? What's that thing going to be? that allows the character who's watching to put two and two together and make 16 and report it. And then a whole juggernaut, yeah. you know, takes over. Those are the things I'm interested in. And also I do think we have very strict lines sometimes about relationships and intimacy that don't always make sense to me. Um, I'm not saying mothers should go around snogging their children. No. Or children should go around snogging their mothers. Absolutely not. But I think intimacy is much more varied and wide than we see in our stories. And, and, um, and I just want to explore that. And, and but also as a society, and it's what you say, like we kind of cut that off. Like I'm thinking about my niece, she's 14 months. And right now you say to her, um, okay, bye kisses. And she comes right up and smacks you right on the mouth with a kiss. And she's not quite got the shape yet. So it's, you know, just, in your face and I'm like but there's going to be a time where when she's kind of going to be told but without being told by anybody not to stop doing that yeah absolutely so when does that happen exactly and I think you've probably and that's the thing I want to explore in the film if you're working with characters that are sort of regressive an 11 year old who's who's been pampered her whole life and kept really close to her mother how does she know where those lines are that's yeah. exactly the heart of the film basically mm. Yeah. I am very excited to see the outcome. 
Oh my God, fingers crossed. Who knows? Who knows? Film is a, do you know what I mean? We really, we hope to start financing. It's our, it's our hope, but you never know with film. You just never know. Yeah. So fingers crossed. I think it's, I think it's a good one. Yeah. I mean, I don't know how much power persistent Nasty have, but we vote, yay! Take the money! Give me all the money! (laughs) Um, And what else is coming up? So you've got uh, stuff with NTS as well, haven't you? Yeah, so um, next year we have this, uh, uh, we have Ghosts, which is a sort of, I suppose it got in, inspired by the adverts that they found of newspapers from the 17th and 18th century, Scottish newspapers where adverts had been put in for runaway slaves, speech marks, um, and the adverts had been put in for their recapture. And basically, if you think about it, they sort of made ordinary people slave catchers because they, yeah. they offered rewards for capturing these young men and women, mostly young men, young boys. And yeah, so, you know, anything from 12 to kind of 22, I think are the, um, some of the adverts we've got. Um, So I just wanted to tell the story of a particular boy or an an, an attempt to tell tell the story, because obviously we don't know what happened to them. All we've got are these adverts. We don't know whether they were captured or whatever. And I always knew that I wanted it to be on phones and I always knew that I wanted it to be something that you experience whilst walking through Glasgow. So um, that was the original idea. And then when BLM happened, so the idea was very theatrical before. You would kind of follow him as he was being chased. And then when BLM happened, it, it sort of occurred to me with this brilliant dramaturg I'm working with, Basola Ramsey, that... To, to, to place him as a victim wasn't quite the right thing because him running that day in the 17th century was an act of protest, was an act of defiance, was, a, was an act of turning the system upside down. I'm not going to take this shit. And so, and, and so it became this thing about a, a sort of making real a whole history of rebellion as opposed to a history of victimization. And I just love that. So, so it's this poem that you're going to be listening to. And at the same time, as you walk through Merchant City, we're using augmented reality to bring out the past, but also to bring out this idea of a 400 year rebellion. And I'm working with these brilliant, it's a brilliant team, all woman team. Honestly, it's amazing. Uh, I could reel them all off. Clarissa is our um, producer. Zoe's our creative um, creative researcher. Brightside Studios, who are Susanna, who are based in Edinburgh. Susanna and Christina are our kind of immersive digital artists. Nirashini is doing the sound and music for us. And yeah, and Basola is sort of our dramaturg um, researcher. And it's just amazing. And then we're working with a brilliant artist two consultants, um, Alberta Whittle, who's a visual artist, and Dr. Peggy Brunash, who is a Haitian, um, yeah, historian. And so it just feels, whew, it feels amazing. And I've, I've really loved, I've really loved it. And we're right in the thick of it now. And it goes live at the end of February, beginning of March. But I've been thinking about this project for like seven years. So it's been kind of like in my head um for a while yeah 
yeah. I mean, I, I, I'm a fan of immersive shit. Give me it all oh, the time. Yeah. I love it. Yeah. I just think it's really exciting. Like, I feel like um, I did this FB post where I was like talking about my experience in theatre and that now that we're, we have this moment where we can re-evaluate what theatre is, that maybe we can fix a system that's slightly broken. Mm-hmm. And I think after Expensive Shit, the play, I kind of moved myself away from theatre because I because it was a bit traumatic. And definitely Ghost is is me exploring other ways of telling like really intimate stories. And I will always love theatre and I do want to work in theatre again, but I definitely feel like the projects I'm doing at the moment are moving away from theatre. But it's like navigating spaces safely for yourself, isn't it? It's knowing what feels comfortable and being able to being able to have this kind of theatrical play, but with stretched kind of boundaries of what that is is absolutely absolutely and I mean I think I think the world I just I'm just feeling like I'm so I feel so blessed to be alive right now even though it's really difficult and we're going through a lot I feel the quality of conversation has changed I feel that I feel as women the things that we can say and feel able to say has changed and I am here for it Mm-hmm. I'm here for it. I really am because I do feel like so much of my life has been without even really realizing it has been, you know, kind of quieting myself down and, and kind of being really conscious of, and as a black woman as well, really conscious, hyper, hyper aware of how I'm being seen in every situation I'm in, especially when I'm in all white spaces and stuff and being able to suddenly be at a time where I can articulate the cost of that emotionally and and what that does to your nerve endings. It's really good to be able to talk about that because it's a lot. It's a lot. And let's just, what's lovely is being able to just have the conversation. Yeah. You know? Um, Yeah. It's so lovely to hear as well that you're finding that people are open to the conversations. Yeah. Probably not everybody, but you know. (laughs) There's a long way to go. We know there is a yeah. long way to go. But I really think for my daughter and for the generations under me, like all we can show them is the ability to speak up. Like yeah. That's the greatest gift I think you can give anybody, the ability to feel strong enough to say, no, I don't want to be treated like that. And no, this isn't right. You know, um, I definitely feel like I come from a generation where that was less the case. Um, so yeah, it feels really exciting at this time. There's some the word that just keeps jumping in my head, and I think it was when you were talking about ghosts and that idea of turning and the victimization of it on its head is just it's just courage and it's um it's a standing in your own truth and uh, as Kay Tempest would say, hold your own, hold your own, yeah, completely completely it's just it's just called for especially now where so much seems at stake Mm. that 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 surely we have to hold our own and and obviously we speak with compassion and we connect with compassion but absolutely importantly we have to hold our own yeah yeah Hmm. and that's exciting (laughs) 
Do you guys think it's exciting? Are you excited by yeah. the times we live in? Are... Yes and no. I get very angry a lot of the time. What angers burn... you? Tell me what angers you the most. I want to burn shit down. I'm so bored of it. I'm so bored. I'm bored. I am angry that we're only having these conversations now. That's what angers me. That I am nearly 40 and this is the fucking conversation. I... I truly feel in myself I would have been open to this conversation at 10 maybe not 10 yeah. mature enough but you know what I mean like yeah. you know I'm not going to articulate myself properly and I'm going to get annoyed about that as well but yeah I just um what I uh, what does make me really happy and it's what you mentioned is I feel as women we are being pulled towards each other much more than we have been before yeah and I truly believe that it's not just because of an age thing. I don't think it's because I've got to a certain age and I'm like, I really look like, you know, Misha is younger than me and I see it in her and I see it in, like I teach young people and I see it in the young women that I teach. They are being drawn to each other. Mm. And I feel that that is a cosmic universal shift that is deliberate and because actually our voices I think I hope that we can be the healing yeah bam for what needs to get done because I think if we can speak with honesty and truth and care then that can only be a good thing and I know that not all women are like that and I know that there are women that are on the patriarchal path and they they don't want to have these conversations but I do feel there is something shifting within us what about you Misha I totally agree totally agree it's it's a really it's difficult because there are days when I am so overwhelmed by the frustration and the anger and the disappointment that this is that this is what the world looks like in this like in this year you just think how could this have gone on for so long and not have been addressed sooner but I think it is outweighed by that sense of no but there is a change happening there is a shift there is there yeah it's a seismic shift that I've been feeling for about a year feeling that wave of something coming and it's exactly that magnetism to other people who are like-minded and most of them are women and we're all having this like wake up and and you know just even hearing the excitement of all the projects that you've got in the pipeline that is so encouraging for me because I do sometimes think but what as a young white middle-class girl what like it's just you just kind of it's not what's the point because there is a point but there is that element of what's the point if mm -hmm. like if if the people who are older than me who have been trying to do this work have not been able to do this work how am I going to be able to do this work but hearing the excitement and the passion and the ideas and the creativity and and with other guests that we have on our podcast 
there is something really grounding in that hearing these women who are doing this amazing work and having that kind of like connection with new women like constantly it's been mm-hmm. a really bizarre year of it there has been so many women just like it, it the only way I can describe it is magnetism like just it feels like the force of like just people flying in all the time mm-hmm. and it is yeah it's a, it's but it is that kind of bizarre like it an up and down a wave it comes in waves of feeling like it's too much but then being reminded of why we yeah. still keep fighting and we still keep going because it's going to be worth it and it's it is changing and shifting yeah and that's the thing we're dealers in hope you know um that's what it's about. And I think um, what I'm understanding is that for me, creativity is my spirituality. I don't follow a God, but I do think that thing of, of connection that happens when you, and when you give in to the creative process is, 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 is really feels like a really spiritual endeavor to me and being able to speak about it on that level and giving it that importance is important is really yeah giving it that important is, is important yeah whatever do but it's it's a realization for myself and it's not necessarily that it becomes this laden heavy thing but this is how I'm best in the world connecting in this way creating in this way and me understanding that the first level of creativity is conversation is dialogue. It's what we're doing here. Like in the middle of the space that we're all inhabiting is a creative entity that is out with all three of us and is 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 an energy that we're going to maybe kind of influence other parts of our lives after this. That for me is beautiful. And that's what I mean about the quality of conversation that I, and I think that's what you're alluding to as well. People's connections and, and we can't play that down because it's it's really important. It's really beautiful, yeah. Um, and it's magic. That connection is magic. I just really, it's sort of something that I've been just thinking about more and more lately, that that I want to surround myself with a certain way of con- conversing that isn't about what you know, but or uh, but is about honesty. And working on ghosts in particular, and there's, it's a seven strong team of women and the rigor comes from our conversations. The rigor comes from the honesty of our conversations. And I want to, and it's the same with, with Barry Creera, getting to a point where we can be honest and real. Um, it seems so straightforward and simple, but it's taken me a while to get to that point, I think. I think a lot of that has to do, and I this personal I think there is something within our industry about that kind of fakeness that comes along with it and um the, the smile and oh hi how are you doing and, uh, yeah it was great and not actually going past that and actually saying to somebody yeah but actually how are you yeah are you okay yeah because there's something about and I there's something about being seen as being vulnerable in this industry, which 
I think we panic that it's a negative thing and that somebody isn't going to then employ us because we're vulnerable or we're this or we're that when actually what you're really you're losing out on something really beautiful if somebody is vulnerable and open they will with the right care and consideration create amazing beautiful creative work that inspires and brings hope and brings joy and maybe make somebody cry but makes people feel they're not alone yeah it's interesting what you were saying about theatre and how there are elements of a system that's broken and not working and I think that there is that across the whole industry and it's and I think having these teams where you can open that up and be honest is redressing that balance Mm. and changing how stories are formed because for so long stories have been formed in a very like cookie cutter way although they're not necessarily the same stories they are formulaic in there a lot of white men and it's all through a white lens and through just this is it is now changing by having the conversations and having more rooms that allow conversations yeah absolutely I'm glad you because like from your vantage point are you because you probably have more of an insight than I do into a bigger portion of of like the industry because of persistent and nasty right like you you access you're having to different makers and thinkers is going to be much more in depth are you feeling that there's a shift or do you feel like in theater or do you feel like we've still got a really long way to go and people are kind of batting down the hatches and wanting to go back to what they had before it's interesting because we speak to people who are on our wavelength so we're in a bit of an echo chamber (laughs) so I would say that we're all on the same journey we're all like got our little backpacks on and we're like walking up this mountain we're like yeah we're going but it's because we're not we're not looking at the people who are walking the other way like nah fuck it it's too tall hell get back go back (laughs) rocks rocks ahead don't bother we're gonna get a donkey brilliant brilliant we all the people who are going up on our path we couldn't get a donkey (laughs) (laughs) don't do it on foot mate don't do it um i think there's a lot of people talking the talk are they walking the walk up that hill possibly not so this is my question how do we change that how do we I've been I've been thinking a lot about whether calling stuff out works. Okay. What are your thoughts on this? It's kind of like cancel culture, isn't it? Canceling things and writing people off instead of having a conversation and looking at mm. why they behaved in the way they did and giving them the opportunity to learn and behave better through teaching and through practice. uh, but do you think that do you think that we need to name name it in order to change it I mean so I think that that there are there are maybe systems in place that we know don't work but nobody's calling out on a public platform and I wonder whether and most of the time when we don't call stuff out 
It's because we're worried about how it's going to affect our jobs in the future. And that means that stuff doesn't get called out that needs to be called out. And I, I've been thinking a lot about what, how to organize, how to call out in an organized way. And obviously, hack, hack the patriarchy is brilliant. Um, and Caitlin Skinner is absolutely brilliant in putting that together. And I know, and I know that a conversation that came up when I was part of it in a group that we were in was how do we speak to power in a way that is compassionate, but that really calls out what's what needs to change, you know? Um, that, and it, I mean, that was what we were talking about. Our hack, the patriarchy was talking truth to power. And yeah. that whole idea. And for everybody that was in that uh, group with us, um, was it was the fear yeah. was the big thing and it is definitely it's a huge part of and I want Scotland is so small in that sense and you know there's that whole thing of it's the, the industry and up here is a village everybody knows everybody and even if you don't know someone you know somebody who knows them like you can get to them like there's no way that it's not possible um and I do think because of that and because of the amount of performers that there are with the lack of work that there is there is a fear to actually call it I mean we joke all the time like when Louise and I started persistent and nasty I used to joke and be like we're never getting employed again and I was really excited to join because I thought well I've never even worked so now I'll never work <laughs> I was like, well, thanks for having me. You fucking ruined my career, but thanks. I'm glad to be here. It's been a beautiful two years and we're really glad that you've been here. <laughs> and I've still not worked. <laughs> I mean, there is, there's a big part of me that kind of is like, I do sometimes wonder if, like, because when I say, oh, I'm Elaine Stidett and I'll say, oh, I'm one of the founders of Persistent and Nasty, people go, oh, right. Oh, yeah. And I'm like, oh, fuck. <laughs> And to be fair, we haven't actually called anybody out yet. And actually, I don't think we ever would be able to do it in a way that was, well, maybe we would. I think this is, this. here's my solution. I think it's about, it is about the conversations. It's about having quiet conversations with people where you recognize that you can like, you say, I don't think that you're a bad person or a shit person or a broken person for this, this behavior. But ultimately the behavior is problematic and yeah. wrong and, and yeah. hurtful to other people. Yeah. And now that I've told you that, you can either acknowledge it and apologize and not do it going forward. And I can help you to know how to do that yeah or you can continue doing that behavior but knowing that it's hurtful and now you're perpetuating the problem and you're doing that maliciously now yeah so, because you've been told yeah yeah and I think it's about reminding people that if you didn't know that it was wrong then then that's like obviously you've still hurt people and you've still caused a path of destruction but you didn't know and now you know you can apologize clean the slate and move forward into mm. the path of light and love 
And, and I th- that's a beautiful, and that's usually me that's been all hippy-dippy and light and love and let's, you know. Uh, but when we're talking about systems within buildings or within production, houses and all of that, um, to call that out is actually almost harder than to call out someone's behaviour. Yeah. Because behaviour yeah. is can be a one-person thing that can be acknowledged and removed but systemic issues are much much bigger and it's how do we speak to that with care yeah so that they hear Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. and for me it's definitely something and since we did hack the patriarchy it's like here just like the back of my head just rolling round rolling round and every so often I'll be like oh, I'm gonna write that little line down or oh I'm gonna write that little line down I need to say to the girls about that <laughs> and just like because after Hack the Patriarchy I was like yes fucking yes and then we did our catch-up on the Thursday and I was like burn this fucking shit to the ground here we go so excited and then the reality of actually what can be done But I do believe with enough of us together. I think we're formidable. Yes. Yes. And I think that um, working as a unit, um, because we all come at it from slightly different points. And I think that's what's wonderful about it, Mm -hmm. is that everybody has their own take on something and when you're willing to listen to somebody's take on something, you can hear something new and go, oh my God, I didn't think about it like that. That's an amazing way to work it. Mm. That's what we want to do. And I think together is what we need to do to make the change. So it needs to be all of us. It's literally the ground up teaching people when you can and when you have the opportunity and just... I'm I'm doing a I'm doing a, a visual thing again. Like we're not we're not. I'm creating not like the a, telly, babes. It's I not the telly. You can't see me again because you're just listening. But I've got one hand coming up and it's like one hand the, going down. I got one hand going down. They're kind of like spiders, creating like a spider sandwich of like power and energy. And I've kind of got like a ball of energy in my hands. And we're the ball, basically. We yeah. are the ball. We are the invisible ball. It's going to smash and it's just going to be pure brilliant. And it is, but I think it takes all of us. I think we all, and I think I kind of have a feeling that those of us who are in Hack the Patriarchy and there's lots of people who really want to be part of it, that before the end of this year, I've got my fingers crossed, I think we might have another conversation and a step closer to what we need to do. Awesome. I'm so, I'm so up for that. I think that, that, that would be amazing. Yeah. Um, oh my God. It's like 10 past five. I do it. I was like. I was supposed to mention about voting for the film. I <gasps> yes. We can do all the things. Let's talk about all the things that you need to see now. <laughs> that, that, that was it. Basically, uh, Expensive Shit, the short film is part of London Film Festival and it is in competition for the audience award, which is basically how many people can we get to vote for it? Come and vote for it. You know you want to. Free to watch, <laughs> free to vote. Let's do it. Let's do it. And it's on the BFI player. It's so on the BFI player, free to watch, yeah. 
Yeah. So from he, today to till the 18th of October, when do we go out? We're going I, to- I, I've moved some stuff. I'm going to put you out on Friday. It's gonna be a super speedy turnaround. I know. I'm like, I'm like, as we've been talking, because usually I've got like at least a week between between as we've been talking. I've been like trying to clock quietly when I need to um, check a little bit of sound on that editing. Uh, one, <laughs> yeah, but we're good. We're good. Oh, amazing! Be, Thank you yeah. so much. That's amazing. Oh, you're so welcome. Um, is there any like where can people find out about all your information? Um. I don't have a website, which is a whole other story. I kind of love that you don't have a website. I'm so old school. It's I like I have, a, I have a deep fear of the tinternet. <laughs> and um, I can't believe I'm working in technologies because the deep fear persists. Um, so uh, basically, you can't find me in one place because I'm everywhere. Yes. <laughs> no, um, barrycreera.com. Uh, I don't know, like NTS. Um I've got Twitters. Yes, I've got yes. Twitters. I've got Tweety Birds. Tweety at, Birds. Yeah, at Duro Noshle. And I'm also on Instagram, which I still don't know how to use. God help me, at Onoshle Adura on Instagram. And I'm on Facebook as well. Anyway, that's it, as Adura Onoshle. And I am a Neanderthal when it comes to it. I, I Listen, there's another podcast we need to do about my fear of the internet. Uh, yeah, that's done. I, I mean... <laughs> Babes, you think you're coming on once? It's not happening. <laughs> you're back. And we're back in the room. And actually, what we should probably do is when we can go back to a pub, because now we're not allowed to go to the pub again. Oh, my we God. Should, we should go get a pint, because we're all so oh, side. Oh, my God. But we can go to cafes. But I want a pint, oh, though. We can take a carry-out pint. Oh, no, you can't take a carry-out pint into the cafe, babe. All right. Oh, well. <laughs> Alas, we wait. This is a hard time we're about to go into, um, but we still have wine at home. I know. And don't we pour better measurements at home? Please. And better wine, maybe. Yeah. yeah. Realistically. I said this when um, we could go back after a lockdown and I went to my first pub and I ordered like a rum and apple juice and they brought it and I was like, there's no fucking rum in that. <laughs> and she was like, no, no, there is. And I was like, no, there's fucking not. I'm drinking it. I'm like, Oh, that's because I've been home pouring for three months. <laughs> ah, that'll be why on my 75 mil measure, probably, that I was having compared to my 25 in the pub. Um, yeah, a couple of things before we finish, Adura. Um, so this got brought up, actually. Misha did a wee, like, call out to people about what are their things from favourite episodes, and it got brought up about um, asking who inspires you as a female so a female that really has inspired your life. Chloe if you can't Dier. think, you're Chloe allowed to Dier. know. Do you mean somebody who is famous or? No. No. Okay. I mean, it can be if you want. Yeah. No. It's Chloe Dear. It's who gave me my first break, who sat opposite me and went, if you're shit, I won't work with you. But if you're good, we could work together. I love she that. She gave me a break and I love her for it. And afterwards, I just, she was just. She used to do Beltane, you know, the fire festival. She's mm-hmm. like a total hippie, kind of renegade ex-chemist who became a circus producer, who now then went to run a fucking ice festival in New Zealand. Do you know, this woman has all the goals. I want to live that life. She now runs a farm in New Zealand. So, 
yeah, she's pretty inspiring to me. And there was nothing, and Chloe always kind of danced to the beat of her own drum. And that is ultimately incredibly inspiring. Yeah. 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 Love that. And um, our final persistent and nasty thing. Elaine was going to do it, but I've decided that I just jumped right over me. Fucking hell, man. I want to ask this question. (laughs) Look at her face. Adura, honestly, I'm such a fangirl. Like, I feel like I've made it very clear through this podcast, but just in case I didn't, I am such a fan. Oh, thanks. Anyway, our final question that we like to ask is about persistent and nasty and what those words mean to you when you hear persistent and nasty what does that do it it, it makes me feel fucking invisible invincible <laughs> invincible invincible i'm going to keep the mistake in <laughs> yes that might need a little edit no i'm keeping it in no, it it does. It, it's like I don't know. It just feels me feel. I feel like a rebel woman when I hear that, and that just makes me feel incredibly empowered. And I think the space that you're creating and that you're conjuring with persistent and nasty is doing exactly that, and I love it. And we love you. I was literally about. She took the words right out of my mouth. I mean, and literally. Of course, we can also be invisible, but only when we want to be, because that's yeah. our superpower. Obviously. 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 Women. We have many. <laughs> oh, I love it. Adira, honestly, yeah. you've been a privilege to speak to and to hear from and just wow. Thank, Thank you so you much so for your much. time. Thank, Thank you. you so much. And I think what I think what you're doing is amazing. And I'm sorry it's taken me this long. I was a bit shy before, to be honest. Oh, that's okay. Um but I just think what you're doing is absolutely amazing. And, I, and I'm glad I'm, I've come and talked to you and I look forward to more and keep up the fight, man. It's just amazing what you guys do. And the love and the happiness and all of it. Well, that's yeah. You keep doing you. Keep doing you. Hold your own, babes. Hold Thank your own. You. Thank you. Love it. You're such a joy. Go, Misha. Go, go, go. go thank you, lovely listeners, for being here on this exciting episode. And until next time, stay nasty. Stay nasty. Stay nasty. <laughs> <laughs>